This is episode 61 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your host, Tim Bowen. I don't think there was news. I just think it was bad. And if there was news, it wasn't great. Steven Johnson. Are you a news guy? Are you a total just the first five minutes guy? And special guest host, Roland Wolf. Like I said, I know I personally know many people who are just bleeding leaving their accounts out right now trying to trade garbage. Now, Roland turned $4,000 into $500,000 in 2017 using these techniques. He's been a guest on Steady Trade before, and once again, he's back for more, helping Tim and Steven get through part 11 of Tim Sykes' 14-part Trader Checklist series. This is also kind of part two of episode 60, so we're going to pick up where we left off in episode 60. Let's jump right in. For me, I don't want to be sitting, holding, waiting, you know, never. And particularly if, if you have a smaller account, that is the worst place to be is in bag holding of any sort. Um, That capital should be elsewhere. You know, that capital is what you need to trade with. So if you have capital tied, say 50% of your account or more tied up in a stock, that's literally, you're just sitting, waiting for news or PR you're, you know, dead in the water. So, I mean, that's not, that's what I try to avoid at all costs. And I think everyone should. Yeah, and I think that something that is, that is not always discussed, I mean, Roland makes a great point, your capital being tied up. You can't trade anything else because you have no buying power. But also, and I, I don't want to say as big, but almost as big, is that mental capital. Hey, we've all been there. I mean, it sucks bag holding. I mean, you get up every day. And you're like, oh God, give me the PR if you're, you know, if you're long <laughs> yeah, or sure. if you're short, oh, give me the hit piece. You know, where's the hit piece, please. You know, where's the bad news. Right. And it just grinds you down yep. and your capital's tied up, but then you're just like hating life For and sure. you just, you know, you just want to be that, that meme where the guy throws all the papers and, <laughs> and you leave, you know? And it's funny because any bag hold I'd, I've had, I think I maybe had a couple successful where eventually, you know, a PR came out, I got a break even or whatever it is. But for the most part, any other bag hold I've had, I cut when I just can't stand it anymore. Yep. And then the next day the PR comes <laughs> out, you know, that kind of situation. So, you know, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not okay for me uh, to yeah. bag hold, especially if you have an account and you have a lot of your capital tied up in that trade and for people who don't know what bag holding is bag holding is when you literally when you've got that's when big, that's when steven is is at the party he shows up at the party <laughs> with that 40 ounce of malt liquor in a paper sack <laughs> that 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 is that that's what we refer to as bag holding but but i mean it's basically when you you hold on to a stock that, that you're underwater on but i mean a couple of things get burnt out of you like for me like i'll just like my, I used to have a strategy where if something I felt like, because it's investing or trading, if something's up too much, then it's a strategy to short it in my old days. Like, look, it's up too much. So I'll short, and I nearly did it today. Well, I did do it a little bit today on uh, CRON. I was short initially when it seemed to have a head and shoulders pre market, but in the end, I took it long for, for a profit in the morning, which was nice. But, but like, I used to think, oh, it's up too much, and there's nothing worse than a stock being up too much and you're down too much on the position. Right. And, and if that basically is the recipe to blow up. So for me, no, you have to have a fundamental plan. You have to think, right, this has got warrants. This news release isn't very good. And then you, you have to have some confirmation, like when the market opens as well. If that, if that stock's strong at the open, like you should be getting out. Yeah, so actually in terms of market opens, 
um, I've changed how I play them a lot. I, I used to be very quick on the, on the trigger when markets opened. Um, now, unless I have a very specific plan for the market open where a stock is doing exactly what I want it to do and I'm ready to buy at a certain level, say I'm dip buying a strong stock in the morning, unless I get exactly that, I'm waiting you know, at least 15 minutes before I'm usually placing my first trade of the day. I like what, what, what changed there though? Why did you change that? Because I remember being in Italy with you when you were trading Pixie and you were, yeah. you were, you were quick off the gun with Pixie and you were buying it off the pre-market highs on the dip. If you right. remember and, that yeah, one. and you know, and I still will once in a while, but it's just something, I don't like the feeling of gambling when I'm trading, you know, and I'm a gambler, but the, the reason I love trading so much is it kind of feeds that without actually being gambling to me. You know, I know where my edge lies. I know my risk reward. I know what I control and what I can't control. Um, and the mornings for me are just too volatile. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I love volatility. That's, you're a day trader. You need volatility. But I don't like feeling like I'm in a 50-50 trade, if that makes sense. And That's a crazy. lot of times in the morning, you get fake outs. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, I find my odds are just dramatically lower the first five, 10 minutes of the day. Um, I've been kind of waiting for things to set up a lot more, you know. Um, and it's been helpful. Like my win ratio is up quite a bit this year just by being more patient and letting the setups kind of come to me a little bit more than I used to. Um, you sounded very mechanical, very robotic. It yeah, sounds no, like it, some of the emotions come out. It does. It's, it's helped so much. Uh, you know, those first things, you're just like, all right, here we go. Oh, it's working. No, it's not working. I don't know. You know, and it's just, <laughs> I mean, there's so much volume first thing in the morning and it's a, uh, it's something that has eliminated a lot of unnecessary losses for me. And yeah, sometimes I'll miss the spike, but for the most part, it's, it's been very helpful, like waiting for setups, waiting for things to settle. You'll kind of start to get a direct, an idea of, okay, is this thing going to move up all day or is it going to just downtrend, you know, or, you know, it's one of those things. And whenever I break that, I, you know, I've done a couple trades the last couple months, like in the first couple minutes of the day. And I just don't feel I just don't comfortable. feel comfortable anymore. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I, I, that, you know, that nine, I call it to me, I call it the nine forty five rule. I mean, 90% of my trades are nine forty five and later. Um, I mean, if it's some insane low float runner with ridiculous volume, that's a different thing. But for me, I just, I mean, the open, especially like this year, it's like you just get that chop and then you wait and if you wait for 9.45 or noon or 2 p.m., they kind of start trending again. Or, I mean, ultimately, if they fail, you know, I'm, I'm very long biased like Roland is. I just don't trade it. I mean, if it's choppy up until 9.45 and then fades all day, big deal. You know, on, on to the next, as Roland says. But that's, that's, a really, that's a really big thing I took away from the Socks of Trade Pro session today. The way you traded Cron today, Tim, you are saying – I'll take a dip on Cron, and if I don't get the dip, I'm doing the VWAP hold. Yep. And I thought that was very interesting because I remember when I first, when I first started chatting to you, when I was first in pro, you were very much, I trade the price action, which, which, I was, which I took to mean you were watching for level two, you're watching all the moves. If something looked weak, you'd buy it. But for me now, it seems like you've got two strategies that you'll, that you'll trade. Well, and there's also a difference, and in, in I think this kind of dovetails with what Roland says, there's a difference between 2016, 2017, and particularly August 2018. I mean, it's like I'm just willing to be ridiculously patient right now because I've seen so many failed morning spikes. Yeah, 100%. And that's the patience is so important. I mean, 
if, you know, I mean, I know for a fact it's without that patience. I mean, if you're just, like I said, I know, I personally know many people who are just bleeding, bleeding their accounts out right now, trying to trade garbage. Um, instead of waiting for at least, even in this climate that you still get setups, you know, um, but they're fewer and far between. Um, so the key is really being patient for the best setups, especially in markets like this. You know, when we have low floats just running rampant or some kind of sector momentum, it's easier to be more aggressive, you know, and your odds do. Well, those, yeah, those are the times, those are the fun times, but those are right. the times you can, you know, I, I would never, ever, ever say trading is quote unquote easy, but you get sector momentum or you get a low flow mania and you can kind of throw shit at the wall and something, yeah. you know, and, and but you can, and you can get a lot of stuff to stick to the wall. Yeah. As long as you're careful. I mean, those, yeah. When the, and climates like that, yeah, you can buy and take a nap and then, you know, sell for 200 you know, last fall. Yeah. Last fall with the bit, with the Bitcoin stuff. Oh, it was yeah. like that. I mean, if you, I mean, if you had a, 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 a blockchain PR in a low float stock, I mean, you could just pretty much buy any of them. And again, never trying to say this is easy, but if you had that PR and it was low float, it was about as easy as it gets. Right. And, and, you know, the fact that there are, you know, the space I think is getting more crowded. I think a lot of people are, are really getting into the day trading thing, um, be it social media or whatever else it is. And, you know, so there are a lot of people who started trading during that period of time. You know, a lot of people I know. And yeah, they did think trading was easy. You know, it seemed, it seems so easy to make money in that environment, which it kind of was to the long side. Um, but then, you know, reality sets in at when that sector momentum's gone and it's like, Oh, now what do I do? Um, and a lot of people just bled that cash back out, you know? So it's one of those things that, you know, it does come with experience, but you realize that you have to be patient and you can't, you know, things don't last forever. So it's kind of, for me, it's a game of taking advantage of sector momentum and, you know, low float mania when it's there to the long side, you know, you can exponentially grow your account during periods like that. Um, but then the, you do also have to recognize once it's gone and when it's gone, you have to, you know, pull back. And that's, and that's kind of how I, what I live by when it comes to gauging the markets and stuff like that. I don't, um, I don't trade every day the same. You know, and I don't trade the same setups every day or every month. And so when people ask me, you know, what setups are you using? What are your favorite setups? Sure, I have my favorite setups like dip buying CVSI last week. Um, but it's not so much just setups. You know, it's everything else that you're doing. It's the patience and discipline and like the intangible uh, kind of things that you get into your routine that can keep you safe during times like this. So, I mean, that's, that's the million dollar thing, to be honest, that I think a lot of people don't realize. And I only realized it like three or four months ago. It's like the market environment changes and stuff will work for a few months and you'll make some money and you'll think that you've got it. And then for the next few months, the market changes, it goes short biased, it goes long biased. And then you just give all the money back plus more. And this is why a lot of, a lot of people who've been trading a year kind of get stuck and get lost. But, but I mean, for you, what would you what would you say the the best setups are for right now and, and how how many trades are you taking a week something a few people ask us to ask you oh man you know a couple i've been taking a couple trades couple a week, week maybe three to five um in this market environment yeah i you know i'm taking a couple trades a week and i am taking like my 10 20 if i get that and i'm out you know it's it's a uh, 
Yeah, it's a quick gains environment for sure. Yeah, it is. I've I've learned that the hard way. I mean, I've had a few of these. Again, swing trades have been great. And, man, freaking August, there's been several times I've been up several dollars a share, and I give practically it all back. I mean, I did it with AMD twice, I think. So it's it's definitely a – take gains environment. Oh, a hundred percent. It's not so much a let your winners run kind of environment right now. Um, so for me, you know, a, I'm taking smaller size B I'm taking quicker profits. Um, yeah, it's one of those, I just don't feel comfortable taking size on my setups, you know, to, uh, to the long side right now. I just don't feel great about it. And everyone I've been talking to, I've been telling, you know, you got to wait, you got to be patient. And, you know, and when, when we do get, when the, time is right that is the time to grow your account in a much more aggressive fashion right now you know spend your time learning figuring out your process you know tracking things and understand it like this is very helpful to understand that the markets aren't always hot like that you know they're just not um and yeah it's been frustrating for me at times you know i sit here like damn it like i you know i want to trade i need to trade but i don't you know and then i'm able to sit back and be proud of the fact that i don't have to trade and understand that I'm evolving as a trader and being proud of the fact that, um, you know, the habits that I'm forming will keep me safe too in markets like this. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I understand people need to make money. You know, they, they feel the need to make money. They want to maybe quit their day job or whatever it is. Um, and all I can say is it comes in time. You know, if the time is right, you'll know it. Um, but obviously, you know, if I had a nine to five right now and just started trading, I wouldn't be quitting, you know, not with these markets at least, but, but uh, yeah, it's, it's tough right now. It's tough to the long side right now. I mean, it really is. And I'm still, you know, I'm still trading it, but you have to be more patient than ever. That's how I feel right now about this market. Uh, what, one, one kind of good question I think I've got for you, and it kind of leads into what we're going to do next, which is review a couple of trades based on the trader checklist, a DVD by Tim Sykes, which we've been going through is, but you know, uh, based, on, based on a single trade, you've got a number of different variables that you take into account. You've got the 52-week chart, maybe you've got the four-year chart, you've got the intraday chart, how it's performing through market, what the catalyst is, uh, what the market environment is like. What, what, what preference do you give to those indicators and or does it, does it depend on each situation or are, are you a news guy? Or are you a total, just the first five minutes guy? Uh, what yeah, works for I you? know I am, uh, I don't have one formula that I use that I can give exact weights to, you know, it's, I mean, I do weight things. Um, catalysts I find to be super important. I mean, it really is very important. Um, and the strength of it, which I kind of have my own system of, you know, just by seeing so many catalysts over time, uh, what can actually move a stock and what can. Um, but catalysts, that's one of the main things that'll give me conviction going into maybe an overnight trade, you know. Um, filings are very important, but, you know, it, it's, it's just a case-by-case scenario. You know, it, is, it really is a sliding scale. Um, for me, I do it pretty quickly in my head at this point. Um, but yeah, what day in the move is it? What time of day is it? It's very important. I cut midday trading out completely. I've taken a couple midday trades this week, this year, I think. Like, no joke. Um, I cut midday trading out completely. So time of day is very important to me. If it's midday, I'm most likely not going to trade it no matter what. Um, catalyst, sector, very important. The market environment, the overall markets. What I've tried to do is kind of take 
everything macro and micro and put it in and bring it into an account for, uh, for each trade. Um, when things get hot, you know, when low floats are running, we have low float mania, things change for me. I trade that much differently than I trade periods like this. Um, when we have low float mania, I will be much more likely without doing a lot of research or really spending too much time to get in early on a move. You know, I, the way I categorize it is like momentum trades, positional trades. Like if we're having low float mania, I'll trade some momentum. You know, I see a low float, you know, with maybe a catalyst and it starts to move in the morning, I'll be much quicker to jump on that. Um, only problem is you can get caught with bad risk reward or certain things can happen in that environment. So if I know I'm in a momentum trade and I'm like, say you got a wave, you're trying to catch it. I know that if it turns against me, I will cut it because if yeah. you think that you're buying momentum and then next thing you know, you're down on the trade, well, maybe you're wrong. So for me, <laughs> no, it's true. So when I play yeah. momentum, and I, maybe I don't, that's, have that's usually at that point is when people start actually reading the press release exactly. and actually, and actually starting Googling the company's name and everything right. else yeah. because they're, because it went from, cause you got to remember there's a difference between a momentum trade. And like you mentioned, like a position trade, a lot of guys dive in because there's like, Oh, there's news and it's moving. Then it reverses back to bag holding. Then they start researching like freaking crazy, reading yep. every single piece of article they can find. But, yeah, yeah, and find out that uh, whatever their PR was, it was actually news from six months ago. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I'm super careful with momentum plays, but I do play them at times, but it's only when the markets are right. Other than that, you know, it's positional. So for me, that would mean that for the most part, I've taken all the indicators into account and I have found a great risk level to get in on and I'm trying to get in on that risk level. And it's as simple as that, you know, I mean, that's uh, it's kept me safe like momentum i cut quickly if it goes against me um positional i have risk and i'm really i'm ready to stick to my risk for the most part as long as my size is under control um i personally prefer positional traits you know i like having a feeling of control over what i'm doing um but i'll still play momentum when it's there you know it's just a matter of is the market ripe for that or not um right now i'm not playing any momentum like period for the most part you know, it's just one of those things that's not safe right now for me, um, especially with size. So it's like, you know, you kind of, you know, you, the, you have to take all the indicators into account and it can be kind of tough to do, especially with momentum plays. But since I know that things aren't running, I'm not really taking momentum plays and that keeps me safe, you know? I think it's a, it's, I think it's a really important point. And I think one other point before we get more into the trader checklist guide is, uh, a lot of people don't take catalyst into account at all. And a lot of, and sometimes maybe, I don't know, I'm just saying a random name. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear Tim Gratani say, I, I didn't really look at the fundamentals. I'm not a fundamentals yeah. person. He says that in his DVD. But then you've also got to think Tim Gratani is mainly short biased. If you're mainly long biased, I think you have to look at the catalyst. You have to yeah. look at white. <laughs> because if you're looking at it short, you're thinking that you've got time to gauge it. It's up a lot. You can see it's getting a bit weak. It's got a history of failing after being up two, three days. But with a long, you don't have that foresight. You know no, what I mean? and, no. And so that's why it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, for me, when it comes to short versus long, like the short setups come to you a lot easier. I think, I think, um, you know, you're shorting, you know, heavy volume days of, you know, multi-day resistance or whatever it is. And, you know, the, the charts kind of set up nicely. And that's why I say the highest odds plays are shorts. Um, for long, you have to be a little bit more creative, I think. Um, you have to be able to gauge the catalyst, um, and find something with the potential to move big early. 
and that's kind of the game for me and what's helped what you know where I've had success is finding runners early not chasing runners late you know that's that's kind of what noobs do and you know you see a stock up 100% they're trying to play it um where I am selling into that you know it's it's a total different mind frame um but I like to be aware of the levels where shorts short at you know if you're aware of that then you know you have you know a little bit of leg up on the next guy who's just buying into resistance somewhere um so yeah it is yeah it's a very different thing short versus long um but for me you know if when the more things add up in my favor i'm much more likely to have conviction and then hence i'm much more likely to take size um if not, I, you know, and I'm just kind of taking a speculative trade, I trade them really small and I stay as safe as possible. So it is, it's it all boils down to patience again and discipline, the discipline and patience, not to just take random trades, um, not to, to understand like if there's no catalyst, you want to be careful going overnight. Um, if there are warrants there, I usually don't even play them anymore, you know, and I've seen, I've seen levels where there are warrants or say there's an at the market offering and the stock still runs but I'm at the point where I don't even give a crap, you know, I, and I'm, you know, and I let them run with a smile on my face um, just because those are, can be impediments to a stock running. You know, that's a short indicator for me. So I'm not, you know, it's all important, like I said, and the more things you can stack in your favor, the better it is for your trade, you know? That's yeah, that that worksheet. I have a bunch of worksheets that we use, and not that they're perfect, but I use them as a teaching tool to just force everybody to say, "Listen, if you can't check, you know, seven out of ten, eight out of ten, nine out of ten boxes, just don't trade it." You know, if and that's a you know, and again, whether you modify the criteria or you stick with my criteria, at least just fill that thing out because there's been plenty of times. Again, I I'm like, oh, this is a good setup. And I would mentally do that checklist. And I'm like, no, I'm like, man, there's only two, two reasons to buy this stock. And if I'm going along some sketchy momentum stock, I got to have a lot more reasons than two. I got to be able to say, you know, this, 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 and this, right. Give me five, six criteria, whatever your criteria are, but those are the ones that you then get aggressive with. Exactly. Yeah, and just let, let's get, we'll jump across to, to trade a checklist. Roland, I want to see if I can outscore you, okay. outscore you, you and the Bowen. Uh, but the, the final thing that I will say is that's why it's easier if you've got a bigger account because sometimes it's difficult to not take average setups on your board. But it's like I took Cron today short. I was, I was short 52 week high, high volume, weed sectors, <laughs> dead hot. But I, but I was short 100 shares just thinking if this, on the off chance this breaks down, I'll average into a winner. And when it right. didn't, I cut it and I made five dollars. Right. And I, I fulfilled the urge of gambling. <laughs> you know what I mean? I fulfilled the urge of gambling for a hundred shares. Right. But when TNXP came up, and I, I, I don't know if you saw TNXP. I did. I it, didn't play. it had it had warrants. It had yeah. the, the news release was absolute bullshit. It was about a poster going up in a, a conference of a failed study. And I was, and for that, I would be like, right, I'm short 15 grand straight away. And I'm going to, but I'm going to build into that 15 grand. And that's the difference between having a little, that's how it's harder to have a small account because you literally have to do nothing until the right play comes and just smash, smash the money. in when it comes. Right. Which I, which I do understand there's a different, like me, I can't afford to, you know, I can, I could not trade the rest of the year. I'll be fine. Um, but I love trading obviously. So that's why I do it. And I, <laughs> and I understand I can, my account and my, you know, my livelihood and my family will be fine if I don't trade for the next month. 
where a lot of people, they're really, you know, grinding, trying to get it, eke out a living every single day, um, which is tough. You know, that, that alone will put emotional strain on you in trading. You know, for me, uh, you know, I've gotten more disciplined, but I, and the emotions come out of it a lot. And part of that has to do with not needing the money on a daily basis. If you're in a position where you need the money or say maybe you pay bills out of your brokerage account and that's all you have, then it's a very tough place to be in, in my opinion. And I've been there. Um, you know, when yeah, I that's why I, you know, I preach it. Actually, I did a webinar last night on part-time trading. I mean, man, there's, and, and again, I know Roland did it in a year, but he did it 17 hours a day. You can do it, but just take your time. I mean, take that time, keep that job. If you've got, hopefully if you got a job, you know, you've got the benefits, you know, keep in mind, there's no health insurance with stock trading, you know, uh, your brokerage account doesn't provide you with health insurance, you know, or paying bills and stuff like that. Just, you know, realize that you can do it over time. You might not do it in a year, but you can do it. hundred percent. And, and the market's different this year. Last year, I felt like, you know, the opportunity was, was greater for a longer period of time. Um, Agreed. And, and, you know, and that had a lot to do with how I was able to grow my account. This year, if I say I started in January, I, I can tell you I would have had a much more difficult time growing that account this year. Um, the opportunities have not been there so much. So, I mean, other than a couple months out of this year, markets are different, you know, and things change. So, like, it's, you know, it's one of those things that timing and luck, all of it obviously can come into play. But, but it is difficult when you are trying to remove emotion from your trading but you need the money that you're trading with and you need to make money. That's when, you know, if it, if it were me, I would be taking trades I shouldn't be taking. Um, and that actually will have the opposite effect on your account for the most part. So, so for, you know, I mean, you, you have to try to remove yourself from that, from that money as much as you can to remove emotion. Um, so it's, it's a tough game, man. It's tough, you know, especially trying to grow your account. Um, it's, but it, it's a patience game. If you can, if you can understand that the time horizon is much longer than what you think it is. And if you can play it, you know, if you can be, have the foresight to understand that, okay, maybe it won't be for another three years or so that where it really clicks for me or when something happens in the market, you know, as long as you're there and you've put the time in and you have the experience when the markets are ready, you can make a killing, you know? Um, be it short or long, whatever it is, your strategy that you're using, um, you really have to take the time to understand it. And then, and then when the markets are right, then you take advantage. So for me, that's the game, you know, it's really a matter of getting the knowledge. And then when the time is right, you strike as opposed to the opposite. I think, I don't know if he coined it or not, but I got it from him. Kunal Desai. Kunal's a great guy, by the way, probably the funniest most charismatic guy in stock trading. But anyway, Kunal always says is like, Hey, what's two years to something you could be doing the rest of your life. I mean, even if you're 60 years old, you know, you could, you could hopefully keep the lights on, but um, you know, you, if it takes you a couple of years to learn big deal, you could be doing it for 20 more years, 25 years if you live to 85. So. And uh, yeah, and uh, I think let's, let's, let's uh, get on to trade our checklist, Roland. I want to ask you a couple of questions about, about your DVD because I'm intrigued, but we'll save it till the end. Yeah. Let's jump into, into trade our checklist and let's, uh, let's compete like it's England versus America. Yippee-ki-yay. Uh, where it had already spiked and I was buying it in here at 2.30-ish. 
and it was down trending, and then it was up trending a little pre market, and then right at the open, it spiked big. And I did not capture much of this morning spike. I sold a lot of my position in the 250s and then the remainder here at three. And, you know, I'm in from the 220s. That was a solid win for me. And I did not really do uh, anything different on DELT. The only difference was is that tops turned out to be a big spiker and DELT turned out to be a big failed spiker. So this is what I want to teach you. If you can use the same strategy and the same rules over and over again, it doesn't matter if the stock is a successful spiker or not. Uh, because I'm promising myself and I'm you know, holding myself to a certain discipline that I will sell into, I will sell some of my position into a spike. In hindsight, yes, I probably should have sold everything. But I didn't know that it was going to be a failed spiker. I just knew that at 250, I'm in at roughly 210. I mean, that's a 20% win for me. So while, yes, it could go to 30% win or 40% or even 50% win, I'm going to take some profits off the table just in case. And it was that decision that gave me an overall profit um, on the, the whole trade. If I had not done that, I would have been, you know, barely profitable or maybe even had a loss. Um, you know, out of all the stocks, DELT was the biggest percent gainer yesterday, and now it's the biggest percent loser. So when you're trading these volatile stocks, you have to learn to take profits. So great point Sykes mentions here. I mean, if, and this is something I talk about all the time. If you're going to play the low float game, and number one, you don't have to trade these crazy low floats. Remember, we talk about all different kinds of setups. AMD is an old, boring, 30-year-old company. It's up like 30% in a week. Okay, you don't have to trade these crazy low floaters. But if you choose to play that game, he makes a very good point. I always say you can never be out too early on these things. So he had 20%. He got out, took the profit. Sure, he, in theory, could have made another 30, 40, 50% if he sold the top. But Man, if, if you get in the habits of wanting more than 20%, 30% in a few minutes on these things, you're going to struggle. I mean, just you think about percent gains. Think about relative to the price action of the stock. If you're in a $2 stock and it's up $0.50, cents, up a dollar, you got to realize that's up a lot. And you'll never go break, broke taking profits, especially in sketchy low float stocks. Yeah, and, and just skip me and go straight to Roland because as we know, Roland is the he's the king of dip buying and somehow knowing the right ones to hold on to forever. So why, why don't you t- t- talk a little bit about the clip and how you managed to find these uh, 60% gains, etc. Yeah, so my whole game is, especially with low floats, is if a stock, if I say I take a position um, and a stock is is running, I immediately take a piece off. I am big into sizing out. Um, I, that's how I personally extend my gains. So I'm not saying, okay, it's up 20%. I get rid of everything. You know, there are times where that happens, but for the most part, an ideal trade for me is, yeah, say we have a low float. I'm in nice and early. I get a morning spike. Okay. Now I get to take off into each pop. Um, and generally what will happen if the trade works out how I want it to is that maybe I'll sell some dead top, you know, maybe I'll sell some, if I, you know, whatever perk I get. But anytime there's a high day break, generally I'm selling into it. You know, that is my game and that's how I'm able to extend my positions. 
I am not buying 10,000 shares and holding it, you know, hoping that I can dead top 10,000 shares. I am selling them 2K chunks at a time into strength. And that what will happen is if we get a move, say I buy it at five bucks and we get a hundred percent move to 10 bucks, I may get 50% of that because I've been selling throughout the move. And maybe some of my shares are dead top. Um, and maybe some are on the backside, you know, maybe it, it's topped out and it's a backside and I try to get into maybe a little bounce, but that's my game. It's not so much, it's not so much just taking quick profits. It's taking quick profits with a portion of my shares. And that's what allows me to stay in positions longer. You know, people talk about my patience, but that's all it is. I'm not that patient. I'm just locking gains in. And what, the more you lock the gains in, the more detached you become to your remaining shares. And then you get to be super patient with those because, you know, no matter what, worst case scenario, you're going to have a good game, you know, and that's, and that's kind of the game I play, which is not necessarily applicable to everyone, you know, PDT traders at times, uh, maybe one buy, three sells, that's your three day trades for the week, um, maybe three buys and one sell. So it, you know, it is, that's how I do it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting though. So you're basically saying that you'll take a reasonably sized position at the beginning. You'll you'll cut it pretty tight, and then you'll just see how far it goes. Yep. And you'll you'll sell chunks along the way. And if if it's if it's a big runner and you're totally totally right, then you'll make a good profit. If not, you'll end up just taking some profits and then cutting the rest flat. Right. So I may I'm to break even. I may make a couple hundred bucks, whatever it is. But I'm protecting myself by locking shares in right off the bat. You know, and, and that's. You know, whenever I get into trade, especially if the size is bigger, that is the key to me. Because, um, you know, myself included, when I have size on the table, I get jittery, like at times, you know, and you get that, like, you know, you're waiting for, especially if you're long, you're waiting for the thing to collapse and you have to cut, you know, I'm, you know, and I, and I, that's what keeps me safe is that kind of feeling. I'm ready to cut if need be. Um, that being said, once I get the pop and I take a little bit off, yeah, I'm, that that's when I get in my groove, and I can really objectively watch price action. But but isn't that a bit scary? Because for that strategy, it kind of sounds like you need to take a pretty reasonable size position straight away. You don't feel like ah, oh, just let this go a little bit further. Just let this it's dipped, dipped a bit more, let it go a bit further. No, it's a, and it yeah, it comes down to size. Obviously, the more size, it, it does change things. But I'll do it if I have five thousand shares. I'll still try to size out. I'll sell a thousand and just lock a little bit in. You know, I mean, I do that. Generally, unless I have just a very small amount of shares that I'm trying to extend, you know. Let me analyze DELT right here. Um, and let's go back in time and pretend we don't know that the morning spike is going to fail or not. But why am I selling here in the 250s? Because I got a lot of questions in the chat room like, come on, Tim, give it more time. Well, let's just analyze it for a second, shall we? So at 250, so DELT at 250, because one thing that I haven't shown you, you know, I've, I've looked at these numbers and indicators when I initially enter the trade, but the numbers are going to change based on how the trade is going. And so I think it would be beneficial for you guys to see what I was thinking at 250. Uh, yes. I mean, if I was going to quite quickly go over Dell, uh, I don't, I, um, the, the type of pattern he's buying, obviously, I remember that time period and... Kind of, it was stuff that spiked the previous day. There was a likelihood that it would spike again. I'm not sure what the, the daily chart looks like. I don't, Roland, do you have the daily chart up there or? Nope. For Dell, no, nah, I, I would, I would, um, I'd give it about a, a, a 10, just based on the kind of information I know here. Risk reward, he's buying it, um, he's buying a kind of pre-market again. It's a low floor. It's, 
it's up a lot, so I'm going to give it about five. Uh, ease of entry and exit, again, pre-market can drop on you, so I'm going to give that about a four. Uh, there's danger in going first, yeah. Past performance and history of spiking, I can't, I'm not really sure, so I'm going to give that just in the middle. Uh, what time of day it is, pre-market, I don't like it, I'll give it a five. Um, reason catalyst, it's a low float and soft spiking, so I'll give that a seven. And market environment is pretty good for this, so I'll give that an eight. So I'm coming out with 44. Okay, so I'm going to go with, and we're doing this rapid fire to kind of wrap these up, this episode up. So pattern price, um, again, I'm going based off of Sykes' comments. I do remember Delt. Delt is a former runner. So I'll give the pattern a 15. Risk to reward, you know, it's low float. It's early in the day. These tend to spike. I'll give it a 10. Not great. Um, ease of exit and entry, I'll give it a 10. I think it was plenty liquid from what I remember. Um, past performance of spite and spiking. Again, as I remember, Delt is what we call a former runner. It has um, a history of running, especially early in the day. I don't think it ever holds its gains, but that means it's an early day momentum trade. I give it a nine. Um, time of day, kind of going back to TSRI, he's trading this in pre-market. I'm giving it a one on the time of day. The catalyst, again, I would give it probably a five because it is a, uh, I don't think there was news. I just think it was, and, and if there was news, it wasn't great. And then the market environment, I'll go to nine um, simply because again, I remember he was recording this in uh, summer 2016. So low floats were pretty hot. So 15, plus 10, plus 10, plus 9, plus 1, plus 5, plus 9. So 59. So in my mind, it probably wouldn't be a trade at that time of day he was looking at it. I know I'm probably being redundant, but if this thing holds near its highs, holds VWAP, and perks on volume late day, it's probably a trade I would make. So. Yeah, for me, um, I'm just kind of looking at the daily chart from back in 16. And it looks like it had spikes prior to that pretty big from uh, the 60 cent range to like 240 or something like that. Um, so when he was buying it, it had actually, it had actually been dropping and then consolidating. I don't know, you know, pattern price for me, if low floats are moving, then I'd probably give it like a five uh, risk reward pre-market. I'm not a hundred percent sure what was going on with this, but uh yeah, I mean, the fact that it was a former runner and whatnot, I don't know, I'd probably give it a five as well. Ease of entry, exit, it was pretty liquid. Seven, past performance history of spiking, I'd give it a five as well. Um, what time is it? If Pre-market for me is a no-no these days, so it would be probably a two. Um, reason catalyst, I, you know, there's not much other than low floats moving, then that for me is like a three or four. Um, if low floats are moving, that is somewhat of a catalyst to me. Um, and market environment, I actually don't recall the market environment back in 2016. So that's a tough one. But from what you guys are saying, you know, probably a five as well. That's just middle of the road and something I probably won't take today. So Roland's a 32. I think I was about a 44 and Tim, what were you? 59. 59. So I've got a 32, a 44 and a 59 or 32, a 54 and a 59, something like that. Let's see what the score is. 
One thing that I haven't shown you, you know, I've, I've looked at these numbers and indicators when I initially enter the trade, but the numbers are going to change based on how the trade is going. And so I think it would be beneficial for you guys to see what I was thinking at 250. So at 250, the pattern in the price, yes, it's uptrending because it's up a few cents on the day, but there's resistance at 250, 260. And it hasn't clearly broken resistance. It was down, even though it's uptrending, it was down for the most part of pre-market today, which is not a great sign. You know, EVOK, which turned out to be the biggest spiker, was uptrending all of pre-market. So if I had to assign what level pattern and price DELT at 250 was, I would give it a 10. It is not a 20 anymore. And the risk-reward is going to change dramatically because now... What if it fails at 250 now or 260, you know, in this range? Now, this could be the very top of the range. And again, pretend that we don't know that this is going to be the top of the range. But let's just think, okay, with pre-market, the market opens at like, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes from now. Uh, I'm trying to go back in time in my brain how I felt. Uh, The stock is at 250. It's at resistance. It might break out. It might not. If it breaks out, it could go to three. It could go to four. We've seen that. But if it fails, it'll probably head back down to two, and we don't know if two is support is going to hold. So let's say that there's maybe 50 to 70 cents a share of upside. It could get back to the threes. Remember, yesterday's high was three-ish, 310, right? So there's 60 cents of upside. But if 250 fails, there's 50 cents of downside. So that's not very good. You know, there's roughly 1.1 uh, to 1 risk reward. So there's a little more upside from 250, but there's a lot of potential downside. And as we see with these speculative stocks that are up on no news, if they fail at key resistance levels, like DELT is about to do, the downside is quick, you know, like TSRI, where it tanked a dollar a share, Okay. So you have to be overprotective when you're trading these speculative plays. So the risk-reward at 250, I would give it a 4 at a 20. Not very good at all. Ease of entry and exit, you know, at 250, it's easy to get out because there's, there's buyers, which is, you know, what I sold into. But, again, if those buyers dry up, can you get out at 240 or 230? Or is it going to drop all the way to 220? So I would give the, the ease of entry and exit down to a five. Past performance history is spiking. Remember, we looked at the chart yesterday, and it had a history of, of going up a little on day two, but also failing and finishing down on the day on day two. So I would give this a three now that it's already up a little, but not really spiking that much. What time is it? Personal schedule? Well, it's pre-market. Um, you know, I want to ideally still give it to the market open to see if there are any fireworks, but I'm just not sure. So I'll give it a 13. The reason the catalyst is a low flow play, which works right now, and the market works great right now too. So it's a 55, which is not very good. Remember, going into the day, it was an 85. So because the stock has popped a little bit, but not popped enough to really make me confident that it can spike much more, it's changed from a great trading setup to a mediocre trading setup. The 
Yeah, so I think Tim, Tim Bourne was a little bit closest there, but I think it also comes kind of down to, to personal preferences and what you feel comfortable trading. I think the most important thing that I think has come out of this episode, because you see each person given different kind of uh, scores, is that everyone might trade differently and everyone might favor different kind of styles and setups and strategies. But the one thing that we all have in common is we all actually adopt the same process and we all analyze the same variables. It's how we interpret them that makes us unique. What do yeah, you guys think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Profound, I mean, totally. Right? That was yeah, a profound yeah. thing to say. It's pretty <laughs> profound. That. that sounded profound, right? It was riveting. Uh, I mean, I guess in your definition of profound, it could probably be considered profound. Yes. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, and again, <laughs> would like to thank Roland for playing along. I, I appreciate Roland. I, I appreciate you taking everything so seriously. Yeah, I was like, there was a few times I'm like, man, he's really putting in the work here, which is a great takeaway for the listeners. I mean, Roland takes, and again, sorry about the language, but he takes this shit seriously. He lived and breathed it for 17, 18 hours a day in 2017, and that's what got him to where he is now. So put in that work. You might not be able to put in that much time, but work on your system, tweak your system. My checklist, my sheets, they took me, I probably kind of quote-unquote completed them three or four years ago. I mean, it took me six or seven years to build these criteria of setups I look for. It doesn't happen overnight, but you repeat, you repeat, you repeat, and you refine and you tweak. And that's how you get better at everything. Yeah. Every and, your and golf game, whatever it is. 100%. So. And, uh, and if you don't want to do the work, uh, just buy Roland's DVD. It's all in there and you can just learn straight away. <laughs> you don't even need to do the work. Just buy his DVD. No, no. no. The thing about my DVD is, you know, I hammer home the importance of doing work. You know, it's there. People, everyone wants like a magic formula. Everyone wants with one setup that's going to make them profitable. It's just not how it works. Um, it's, it really isn't. You have to put the work in. There's no shortcut around it. Uh, the key is, now, in retrospect, I spent a lot of time kind of not working smart, if that makes sense. You know, they say work smarter, not harder. Um, now, it, you know, at least I did the work. And in retrospect, I'm able to now weed out what was and wasn't important. Um, yeah, but I think you can. I mean, ultimately, you know, whether it be Sykes Educational Materials, Rollins, Stocks to Trade Pro, software. I mean, ultimately, you kind of have to find your own path, too. I mean, 100%. it's like, I mean, I think back about the stupid stuff I did, and it seems like a no-brainer. But you got to make those mistakes to kind of yeah. find your way. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and if you're digging through, you know, a whole mine, mine of info, and you find one thing that's going to help make you profitable in the future, then it's worth the, you know, 10 hours you spent for the one item, in my opinion. Um, and that was kind of the key for me. It's just, I put so much time in that eventually I was able to find certain aspects of the stuff I was getting into that helped me become profitable. Um, you know, as the trader I am, because everyone's so different, you know, the certain principles I live by may not work for other people. Um, setups that I trade may not work for other people. And, you know, so it's not so much about the setups. It's more about all the other stuff that you're doing. Um, with those setups. So, you know, if it comes down to discipline or patience and you have issues or cutting losses quickly, whatever your issues are, if you have those issues, the setup's not going to matter. You're still going to lose. Um, you know, anytime I see someone online who says, you know, I have one or two setups and it'll make you a million dollars. I'm like, you're full of shit. Um, it's, it just happens to be true. It's not the setups. It's everything else to me. That's my opinion. No, definitely. And 
like the, the, the way I've kind of learned as well is it's like just consume as much information as possible and then lose as little money as possible in the stock market as you can, making all of the mistakes. And eventually somehow it all kind of clicks together. And like someone said to me the other day, oh, you, you, you've just learned now not a short low float. So I'm like, well, no, it was, was the first thing I learned. But yeah. I had to go down that road a little later down in my career, I think. And I'm just going to keep on trying it and see if I can figure out some sort of strategy out. And you get bent and you, you learn not to. But it's, it's, yeah, it's two things. Consume as much information as you can and, and just lose a little bit of money learning. Right. If it, you know, everyone I talk to, if you're new and you're just starting or you're not consistently profitable, yes, don't just, you know, you can't take size. Don't do it. You know, everyone's <laughs> looking for the one, that one big win that's going to change their account and it will come if you do the right things. So it's not, I'm not saying that you're not going to have big victories and like big gains, but the key is, is that when the time is right, you'll be in the right place at the right time with the right set of skills with the right size account, and then you get to grow exponentially. It's not so much just, you know, take a shot in the dark and then hopefully one's going to stick. Um, that, you know, that's the key is like keep building your knowledge account. And then when the time is right, you will be able to take advantage of it where maybe a year before you weren't able to. And one good example is like the shipping stocks. Uh, when I first started out and the shippers were running, I didn't take anything from them because I didn't know what I was doing. But when it occurred a year later, I was ready. I was ready for all the sympathy plays. I bought them all on day one, the first night, and I sold them all into the next few days for huge profits. So for me, you know, that's, it is, you know, it's a matter of putting in time and then being patient and letting the process play out, you know, as, and just being aware of your personal process and have a process in the first place. Yeah, and, and obviously you've seen it. You've seen a ton of DVDs. You've saw the Sykes DVDs. I'm, I'd imagine you've seen the Ducks DVD, the Katani DVD yeah. we've all talked about. I, I'm interested to know, based on all of the different content that you've consumed and, and you've, you've obviously thought, I would do, if I was to create a DVD, I would do it like this and like that. What have you put in your DVD that, that's different to everyone else's? Like, how, what's your spin on the education thing? Well, first of all, it's, it's geared more towards beginning traders who aren't profitable. Um, which is the majority of the people, you know, anyone who's buying my DVD is buying it because they need help to become profitable. Um, not because, and maybe some are great short sellers who are just trying to learn some, you know, long information, how I play them or whatever. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we go through setups. I do live trading, same as everyone else. Um, but it's, you know, I'm trying to, it's actually very motivational. I think I've been kind of getting through it. And it's about, it's, you know, it's about the long-term process and helping people build a process kind of like the trader checklist uh, DVD. Um, but, you know, discovering their own process and then how to play them, how to be safe while forming your process as well. Um, so there's a lot about risk reward. Um, yeah, we get into setups for sure. All my favorite setups are in there. Um, but like I've said so many times, like setups alone aren't enough. So, it, you know, there is a lot about patience. There is a lot of psychology in there, how to deal with your own personal psychology, what I did that helped work for me. Um, just kind of some hacks like the post-its, just the sticky notes and mantras. You know, I share those. So um, position sizing, you know, all the way. It's the basics through more some more advanced techniques. But, you know, it's not geared so much for, you know, someone who's got it down there. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. If you're already extremely profitable, you're not necessarily looking elsewhere. You're just able to trade and make your living every day. But if you're not, I, a lot of it has to do with PDT because PDT is so tough to deal with. Um, so a lot has to do with that and kind of how I overcame it and 
the way I see it working. So, um, you know, as far as, you know, differentiating it from other DVDs, part of it is just that it's all long. I mean, you know, most of the DVDs coming out now, there's a lot of short sellers getting into it. Obviously, Ducks is doing his thing, making his 100K a day that he does. And <laughs> uh, every time I see him, it's like 100K a day. I'm like, you're nuts, bro. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Ducks is a different, you know, he's also a rare specimen. He's not like a regular, you know, everyday Joe. And he also put in massive amounts of work, you know, to get to where he is. So it's not, um, so it's cool. But I, I'm trying to help, you know, your everyday Joe become profitable to where maybe one day they can do it for a living. Um, but get them to a place where psychologically and like emotionally they're able to deal with everything that's going to throw at them. Cause it's so tough, you know, it's so tough and you're not told, uh, you know, you're, you get, uh, sucked into the markets by quick money. A lot of people and seeing all these people say, Oh, I took, you know, my thousand dollars and made a million in two months with these three strategies. That's just not how it is. So I'm trying to kind of do it properly. You know, I'm hoping it'll be really helpful. I think it will be. So last thing, Roland, again, thank you again for appearing. It's been one of my favorite episodes, one of the longer ones. I think we made two episodes out yeah. of this. But uh, just real quick, uh, when is your DVD coming out and where can they find it? Yeah, it'll be out beginning of October. Um, I have a site, rwtrades.com, really simple. And yeah, that's where it's going to be. And it's available for pre-sale right now. But I think it's going to be the 1st of October. Hopefully we'll have it all done, ready to go. Cool. Uh, hopefully we'll get you on and maybe we can, uh, we can go through some elements of the DVD and we can talk about different aspects like we've done Trader Checklist. That might be a cool trilogy like yeah. Star Wars, but without <laughs> the characters and the lightsabers. But uh, yeah, dude, it's been awesome to have you back. You're one of the more popular guests uh, because I think, and the reason that you are more popular is one, because you can uh, really coherently explain things in a way that a lot of like kind of beginner and novice traders can receive it in that way, which is why I think your DVD will be a really good buy as well. But also because you've got that passion. You've got that passion. A lot of traders don't, they're not really emotional and that's why they're good traders because they don't have the emotion, but you do have the emotion and you do have the success. And I think that's what kind of separates you from the masses. So very grateful to have you on. You're a good kid and I can't wait to next hang out with you and have a beer together. Yeah, I'll hopefully see you guys next month at the conference. Thanks yep. for ha- and thanks for having me on. It's always good speaking with both of you. Hi, this is Aaron, a.k.a. Double A-Ron from New York City. And I like to go outside and find a stray dog, preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a Rottweiler. Then I get real close, stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me. Then I run. That's right, I run while listening to Stephen and Tim on the Steady Trade Podcast. You can register to win real, actual prizes at their website, steadytrade.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City. (laughs) 